Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? All right. I am excited that you're here with us. If you don't know me, I am Josh Peterson. I'm the worship pastor here. I get the pleasure and the honor to uh, bring you a message that I feel God's put on my heart. We're talking about how Jesus is the perfect friend. Uh, We're in our uh, fifth week of our six-week series called This is Jesus. And, And here at HCF, our mission statement is leading people to discover their purpose and the joy in Jesus. And and we believe that our purpose, our number one purpose on earth, is to love Jesus and be like him and love others, as he says. Can I get an amen for that? That's right. And we believe that that's important. We can try as hard as we can to be like Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And Jesus is the perfect friend. We see it in scripture, throughout scripture. We see how he uh, how he met people, how he cared for people. We're going to touch on how uh, his relationship with Matthew proves what a perfect friend he was. Um, and we're going uh, to dive into that. We're going to talk about Paul a little bit this morning and Ananias and uh, Barnabas. And we're going to go through it and uh, we're going to learn a little bit. We're going to talk through what attributes makes a perfect friend. Uh, but as this week was going, I was thinking through uh, the perfect friend. Who who are these two great friends that I knew growing up? And maybe it's mom and dad. Maybe it's uh, a best friend. For me, it was um, it was Harry Dunn and Lloyd Christmas. These two right here from Dumb and Dumber. Who is a Dumb and Dumber fan in here? That's right. I believe that's the best comedy ever created of all time. Uh, and if you've seen the movie. Uh, Lloyd, who has a bolt cut, he's got a helmet on right now, you can't see it, but I know probably half of this room had bolt cuts in the 90s. Who had one? Anybody all the way around? I didn't have one, thank goodness. But uh, basically, the, the premise of this story is Lloyd, who's in the front, he's a limo driver, and he uh, has taken this lady to the airport. He falls in love with her, of course, in the limo, and she ends up leaving her briefcase in the limo and gets on the airplane, forgets it. And he comes back, and he convinces his best friend, Harry, uh, to drop their whole lives, their roommates, they're kind of weirdos, to be honest with you, they're kind, of, they're kind of off on their own, and he convinces his roommate to drop everything and get in their, their, they had a dog car, it was ridiculous if you've seen it, and they basically travel the country to try to find her. And, uh, and what he says in the movie, I was going to show a clip, I ended up not wanting to for time's sakes, but Harry, uh, Lloyd, rather, in the front, he says uh, a couple times in the movie, he talks about how he wants to plug into the social pipeline, how he's sick and tired of being a nobody. He's sick and tired of having nobody. He's sick and tired of having, not having friends in his life that care for him. And I know it's kind of a stretch. I was more excited just to drop a dumb and dumber line in, in church this morning. But I think he kind of touches on a human element there, that we all, we all want to have friends in our lives that care for us, that, that lift us up, that lift us out of things, that uh, encourage us, maybe call us out when we need to be called out. So we're going we're gonna to touch on that this morning. We're going to start in 2 Timothy this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, whether it's, uh, there's Bibles, I think, in the, in the books, the, the seat in front of you, or you're on your phone, we're going to jump into 2 Timothy. It's going to be chapter 4, 10 through 22 this morning. And this is going to be New King James Version. That's what I'm going to be reading about. So all the KGVers out there, you should be proud and happy. We're going to be reading through the King James Version this morning. Read with me now. This is uh, 2 Timothy 4, 10 through 22. It says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. 
Cretans for Galicia, uh, Galicia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for my ministry. And Tychus I sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak I left with, with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord get him. And Paul was not playing. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first offense, no one, no one, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I've delivered, also, I was delivered out of the mouth of a lion, by the way. And the Lord would deliver me for, from every evil work and pr- preserve me for the heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Achilla and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corneth, but Trophimus I've left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Ebulus greets you, as well as Pudens, Lenius, Claudia, and the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Grace be with you. And all said, amen. Amen. Man, I just want to say, if your name is Onesiphorus, and you get on the bus, you better know how to, and you're seven years old, you better know how to handle yourself, because that's a tough, tough name to have. Uh, We hear those names, and we might think they're kind of trivial. You know, why did Paul have to go through all of these names uh, in this section of Scripture? Uh, You know, and and I think it's interesting, in the the middle of that, while he's listing these people, uh, that matter to him. He also sandwiches in some people that, that were his enemies, essentially. He talks about Demas and how Demas had forsaken him. He talks about how Alexander the, the coppersmith brought him much harm. It's almost like Paul had this tone of gratitude for, uh, for the people in his life, his friends, but also the, his enemies, the people that made his life a bit tough. Uh, and in the middle of, um, right between Demas and Alexander the coppersmith, Paul mentions Mark. And if you know anything about the history of Mark and Paul, they had some tension at one point. Uh, Paul and Mark were on a mission, uh, on the missionary field together. Uh, and at one point, Paul asked Mark to, to leave the missionary field. He, he asked him to leave the group. And, uh, and at the time, uh, Barnabas finds out. And Barnabas, they're both leaders. Paul and Barnabas are leaders in the early church at the time. And and Barnabas finds out and, and approaches Paul and kind of confronts him on it and says, hey, I, I, don't, I don't really understand why you kicked Mark off. I don't see the justification in it. And, and Scripture says that they fought so much that they actually parted ways and left to different countries all over Mark. So, you know, Paul had at the time an issue with Mark, and then he meets Alexander the coppersmith and Demas. And I think Paul was probably, the way I read it at least, Paul was humbled a little bit on the way he was treated by them. And he says, hey, would you, would you shoot Mark a text and let him know that, hey, I could, I could use you. You're important to me in my ministry, and, and I might have been a little bit harsh on you uh, at first. And uh, so I thought that was interesting. Would we all agree that um, it would be, in a lot of ways, it would, be, it would be great if we didn't need people? I know we're in church, and, of course, we can't say that out loud, but... <laughs> in, you know, it, I was thinking through this, and uh, I think a lot of times in... Um, in life, in difficult times, we could probably attach a name to that difficult time. It would be so much easier if we didn't have to be involved with people sometimes. But we know that's not how we were created. We know that's not how Jesus created us. 
there's nothing more dangerous than not having great friends in your life. And maybe it's not, and maybe it's something even more dangerous is not knowing how to be a great friend to somebody. How, how do we be a great friend? How does Jesus call us to be a friend to someone? I think that's what Paul is kind of saying in this. I had these enemies, but I had these friends, and it wasn't perfect. It was kind of messy, but I learned along the way on how to treat people and how to not treat people. So what kind of characteristics make a great friend? What characteristics make a great friend? Number one, a great friend will lift others up. A great friend will lift others up. We're going to hop into Acts chapter 9 now, Acts chapter 9, 17 through 19, and I'll be reading from the NLT. I think it's on the screens as well, so read with me. It says, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell off from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After he ate some food and regained his strength, and, and if some of you, most of all, all of us know who Paul was. He was, a, he was a mass murderer of the early church, and he has this road to Damascus moment, meets Jesus. Jesus tells him who he is, and he believes it, and then he goes blind. And I was thinking through that this week. Could you imagine what was going through Paul's brain at this time? He He's killing person after person after person. He, he thinks Jesus is a fraud. And all of a sudden, he meets him on a road. And he's convinced that Jesus is real. He goes blind. And then he's sitting there being, is blind for a while. And he's just, I can't even imagine the guilt that he probably had for all the people that he killed. Uh, just the confusion. Um, and then God sends Ananias. And Ananias disregarded all of Paul's history. He knew who Saul was. He knew that he was a murderer, that what he did to, to Christians. And Ananias was, I think he was a bit nervous, but he ended up going anyways. He disregarded Paul's history. Paul was in a dark place, a depressing place, and God sent Ananias to lift him. One of the most important qualities of a great friend is the quality of being a lifter. Someone when life gets us so beat down and discouraged, whether it's the world, our, our family, our friends, maybe it's our work, sometimes we beat ourselves up so bad that we get so down that every now and then we need somebody in our life, a great friend to lift us up, not let us stay in a down place. If the great apostle Paul needed someone to lift, uh, lift him up, we're crazy to think that we can go without those type of people in our lives. Bible says Paul got up and was baptized. Ananias, Ananias pointed Paul to the one who would never fail him. A great lifter knows that he can only lift people so high. He or she can only lift them so high. At some point, they're going to fail. They're going to they're mess up. But a, good, a great lifter, a great friend knows to always point them to the one that will never fail you, that will never forsake you, that sticks closer to you than a brother, is the greatest friend. His name is Jesus. We need lifters in our lives. We need to be lifters to other people around us. The big idea this morning is we must lift each other up always, calling others to something greater. Number two, a great friend will lift others out. A great friend will lift others out. We, need, we not only need people to lift us up when we're down, but we need people to lift us out. We need, we need someone to give us more than just a, a hand out. We need, to give, we need someone to give us a hand up. And a lot of people, I believe, uh, in church have been lifted up, but not, have, haven't been lifted out. Let me say it like this. You've been saved, but you're not free. 
You're saved, but you're not free. A miserable place to be, to know Jesus, to love his mercy, his grace, that he's Savior. And outside these walls on a Sunday morning, your life doesn't reflect that. Many people live their whole Christian life saved, but not free. You could see their spirit, in their, if you could see their spirit and their soul, the enemy is just beating them down, beating them down. We see it in Luke 10, the good Samaritan. He's not a good Samaritan. He didn't walk by the guy in the dish and just throw him some Band-Aids and say, hey, get better. No, he went down in there and grabbed him and led him to a place to get better. He didn't just see the man say, hey, you could get better. He actually led them, led him to the place. Anytime you see Jesus in Scripture, you see the same. Anytime you got in contact with someone, he didn't just save them. He made sure that they were free. He didn't just stop at salvation and prayer and receiving grace and mercy. Those are all great things. We see it again if, in, in John 11 when he raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus has died. It's one of Jesus' friends, and people are confused and kind of angry with Jesus that he didn't save Lazarus before he passed. And Jesus comes and, and has the tomb roll or the rock rolled away, and Jesus or Lazarus rises out, and everybody's partying and going crazy. And I, I could imagine if you just saw someone dead and now they're alive, it, it, was, it was nuts. And I think it's interesting, there's one spot of section, the verses there in verse 44 where Jesus says something that I think can be, be skipped. He says, the Bible says, Lazarus was still wrapped in his grave clothes. And Jesus tells the disciples in verse 44 to go unwrap him. He's alive, but he's not free. You have to unwrap him. Dirty, smelly, nasty grave clothes. He still has on all those things that are attached to us. Dirty grave clothes. We need to be free from those things. We need people to help lift us out of those things. Some of us live decades bound, attached to the things that aren't pleasing to God. And none of us have told us, and no one has told us that we could be free from them. If you, can, if you only hear one thing from me this morning, I want you to hear this, that you can be free. That God wants you, Jesus wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. Life is so much better when you're free. And if that's you, you know exactly what you're not free from. The, the Holy Spirit put it on your heart this morning. You know exactly what you're not free from addiction of any kind, pride, envy, money. If you're struggling with an, any of those things, something that you're bound by, we have multiple avenues here at HCF to get you connected to something. We have Cultivate, which is a ministry that helps people move through relationship issues and be free from some of the things that hold us down. We've got a freedom prayer ministry where we have a group of people waiting to pray for you, specifically for something that is, that's bounding you up. We want to help you be free. We want you to take advantage of those, so don't be alone in that. We want you to be free. Jesus wants you to be free. We need people in our lives to help lift us up. We cannot do it alone. It's impossible. A great friend will let others in. Some of the most important times in my life, thinking back, was the time when, or were times when people let me in, let me be part of uh, the inner circle, or as this guy would say, it, uh, the circle of trust. You are in the circle of trust. That's another good movie. I'm, I'm a movie, I kind of think I'm a movie buff. I don't know if, if you say you're a movie buff, if you really are, but uh, I love this movie. It's another one, Circle of Trust. Uh, those are the times where I felt like I was important, that I was accepted, that I was, uh, I was special. I was important to someone, and 
Conversely, there are times in life, I think especially in the churches, when we feel like we've been excluded, we've been pushed out, not accepted, not in the circle. We need people to invite us in. That's what life groups are. It's, it's people living with each other, opening their lives, their homes, their time. People that know that life change isn't sustained just in these, these walls on a Sunday morning, but it's sustained in a small, caring community. We need to be in a community of people who will let us in. In Acts 7, Paul, whose scales fell off his eyes, has this road, as I said, to Damascus experience. God changes his life. He goes from murderer to apostle. And Paul, at, the, at this moment in, in Acts 7, is going from church to church trying to share his testimony with people. And he's having a hard time getting people to church. And it makes sense because most of the people that were going to church at the time were widows and, and orphans at Paul's hands, at Saul's hands. He murdered their brothers or their, their dads or their, uh, their family. So they were scared. They didn't believe that Paul could have changed. They didn't believe he was one of them. They're like, no way, we're not going. We don't trust this guy. So here comes Barnabas. Barnabas comes in and vouches for Paul. He's in Paul's corner. He, he knows who Paul is. He knows what he's gone through. He believes in him. He vouches for Paul. He tells all of the community that Paul is, is legit, I guess, if that's the word that we would use, that Paul has a testimony now that Jesus has changed him. And people slowly start coming back to church. And I was thinking through this this morning. If, if it wasn't for Barnabas coming and doing that, we may not have Paul, who is the greatest apostle, we wouldn't have half the letters that he wrote that, that taught people about love and mercy and grace, introduced us to, to some of the greatest revelations of who Jesus was if it wasn't for Barnabas vouching for Paul. Great friend. Number four, a great friend will level others out. In Acts 9, uh, here's Paul again. A revival is breaking out in a city, and right next to the revival in the same city, a riot is breaking out. And Paul is actually kind of the source of both of them, both of the issues. And, uh, and the leaders of the church at that time decide to approach Paul, and they basically say, hey, Paul, you know, we appreciate you, but we think you need to go down the road. And, and Paul was taken aback. He was absolutely like, what? What are you talking about? And uh, they didn't just tell him to go back to his hotel room and wait for the riot to to. to mellow down. No, they, they sent him 43 miles away to, uh, what was it? Uh, I need to make sure I have this right. Where did he go? Caesarea, sorry. Caesarea, 43 miles to Caesarea. And he didn't have an Uber or a skateboard. I mean, he had to walk 43 miles. So the church leaders come in and say, hey, Paul, we love what you're doing, but we don't think this is healthy for this spot. You need to go. And Paul had to go 43 miles to Caesarea and at this point, Paul is devastated. Paul feels alone. He feels abandoned. Uh, he basically leaves ministry for a while. He goes and starts building tents again. Uh, he kind of, uh, he, he just is alone. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. Nobody's really reaching out to him. He didn't write any letters during this time. He was devastated from, because people told him, which I think is an important life lesson, that the whole should never have to suffer for a few Every now and then we need to be reminded that the world is much bigger than we are, bigger than our opinions. Sometimes we can start causing so many problems that we're actually causing a problem to the whole. It hurts to hear that. It hurts to hear somebody tell us, hey, man, you're actually a big problem. 
Paul had to face someone coming in, the church leaders, saying, Paul, hey, what's best for the church is that you go down the road. In real life, what's best for the whole is that the one be leveled out and confronted. Some of us here, some of our biggest struggles in life is maybe we don't have anybody in our lives to, to tell us like it is. And we don't trust anybody to do it and, and to receive it. No, I don't think you should think that way. No, I don't think you should act that way. No, don't be in that relationship. No, don't do that. Don't make that decision. Somebody calling us to something bigger, something greater. We need people who are honest with us. A great friend will search others out. In Acts 11, Barnabas goes and searches for Paul. So Paul is, is bumming. He's out on his own. He's building tents. He's mad at everybody. He's devastated. And Barnabas has to go door to door looking for him. He didn't have uh, air tags or find my iPhone or GPS. He has to go door to door knocking on every door looking for, for, uh, for Paul. That's what a great friend does. And, he, and he, another, he doesn't give up. And he finally finds him. And he goes, hey, hey, Paul, what's going on? And the first thing Paul does is starts arguing with Barnabas. First thing he does, starts arguing, telling him how everybody's wronged him and how terrible everybody is. And Barnabas basically says, bro, you're wrong. Like, get over it. He levels Paul out and says, God has called you to much bigger things. God has a plan for you, and you need to fulfill those. You need to get over yourself, stop whining, and get up and pick up, your, pick up your sword, if you will, and move on. And Barnabas comes in again and saves Paul, great friend. He finds, he searches him out. He goes and finds him, who's Paul, who's hidden away somewhere. Barnabas comes and finds him. We need to be that type of friend to search someone out who's given up, who's been depressed, who is obsessing over something. Someone to tell that that one thing in your life, it doesn't define you to stand up, to dust it off, to be free from it, and move forward. All of these characteristics are in Jesus, and we see these attributes in Jesus when he meets Matthew through Matthew's life with Jesus on earth. Jesus, the perfect friend, specifically we see it uh, in Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 9 through 13, this is NLT. You can, I think it's on the screens, and we can read it together. It says, passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus said, come along with me. Matthew stood up and followed him. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit, and they lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and misfits? Jesus overhearing shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out this script, what this scripture means. And man, I, f I feel like if Jesus looks at you and says, go figure out what this scripture means, yikes, I'd be, I'd be trembling. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite, other, uh, invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. And we know Matthew was a tax collector. He was considered the worst of the worst. Scum. Everybody hated him. And I would think if I was Matthew, I'd probably think the same of myself. I would think I'm, I'm worthless. I'm hated. I have nobody. I'm, I'm uncared for. Jesus finds Matthew. He lifts him up. He looked him up. Jesus reminds Matthew over their, over their life together of how important 
Matthew was, and that Jesus had great plans for him. That's what a great friend does, a perfect friend. Jesus lifted Matthew out from the baggage of being a tax collector and all that came with that, being hated by society. He let Matthew in when Jesus was preparing for Sermon on the Mount, maybe the greatest sermon ever created. Matthew was a part of that process, that planning process. He let Matthew be a part of his life. Jesus molded how to be a perfect friend to us through his relationship with Matthew. He molded it in Paul's life and Ananias and Barnabas. Jesus lifted Matthew up. He told him how important he was. He encouraged Matthew. He lifted him out. He moved him from his current state physically, basically, and told him to follow me. Told him to drop everything and follow me. He let him in. He invited Matthew to be a part of his life. Matthew felt important. And Jesus corrected Matthew when it was needed. You know, it's interesting, at the beginning of the Bible, the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. The Bible says they were so close, so close, he w- God would check with Abraham before he would do things. Hey, Abraham, I'm going to destroy that city over there. What do you think about it? And Abraham's like, oh, God, I think that's a little harsh. And, and he would negotiate with God on the behalf of people. And I was thinking through that today, what an amazing thing that is to be a friend of God. And I think God trusted Abraham so much because he knew that Abraham loved people, that he cared for people, that he had people's best intentions in mind. And he was interested in what Abraham's point of view was, his, his opinion was of, of something that God was planning on doing. The man at Bethsaida was there for 38 years. He was paralyzed. He was at this pool that supposedly was going to heal him. He was there for 38 years. 38 years. In John 5, you can read more about it. But we're going to watch a clip from The Chosen here in a moment before we close and and start singing again to Jesus. Uh, It's one of my favorite clips is when Jesus and the disciples come and find the man at the pool. And um, I want you to notice when we watch this what the man says to Jesus. So go ahead and let's watch this now. That's him. Who? Him. The one who's been here the longest. But doesn't belong. The sad one. Why do I get the feeling this isn't just a meeting? Do we need to be on the lookout? No. Just stay with me and watch. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. 
I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you or who's not helping or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. you stand with me as we get ready to sing to the one, the perfect friend? We notice that the man there, he said, I have no one. He says, I have no one. I've tried for 38 years. People just look over me. I have no one. And then Jesus says, why are you still here? And he was so rejected, so depressed, so lost that he didn't even know. He didn't even know. And then Jesus, later in that scene, says, come and he said, take up your bed and walk with me. And Jesus heals him. I think the big piece of that story is nobody for 38 years decided that that man was worth it to lift him up. And we're called to be like Jesus as followers of him, to lift others up, to let them out, to free them from baggage to search them out, to correct them when they need to be corrected. Man, if the world saw Jesus' followers doing that with each other, encouraging, striving for each other to be better, being great friends, this room would be flooded. Churches like this would be flooded across the world with people wanting to be a part of that. So my challenge to you this morning as we have seen what a perfect friend is through Jesus, through uh, Barnabas, through Ananias, 
that we be like them, that we, we, we one, find people to do that for us because we need it personally, but two, that we go find somebody, somebody, one person maybe, to do that for. Do those things. Start with just lifting them up, encouraging them. I think if we do that as a church, God will move. God will move. Let's pray together. Father Jesus, we thank you for loving us, God. We thank you for the example that you are to us, Jesus. We thank you for your never-ending mercy and your grace. We thank you that you want us to be free. God, I pray, Lord, that you help us learn how to do that. Jesus, teach us, God, how to be a great friend. Teach us how to love people like you love people, Jesus. Teach us how to do what you did at the, at the pool. God, we thank you for loving us. We pray, Lord, as we sing to you now, we sing to, the, to God who is our hope. We're gonna sing living hope, God. We thank you that you are so, so full of hope and that we can live in that hope because you love us, God. And we love you, Jesus. I pray that this next few moments be a sweet song to your ear, God, as your children sing to you now, Father. And we love you, God. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full-service replays, visit us online at hcfburnit.org. God bless and have a great week.